Hey, it's Lisa Carlin from Attacking Third to tell you about the all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe. It's equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend. The Hyundai Santa Fe features available all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, plus available dual wireless charging pads, ensuring that you can take on any adventure. It's ski season, and with the all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe, I can easily load the car with all my gear plus my friends in the third row and make it right to the base of the slopes with all-wheel drive. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Finding the right cleat can be transformative. Believe me, I've worn plenty during my career. So getting the right balance is crucial. The cleat needs to feel good on your foot, but also feel good connecting with the ball. The New Balance Furon 7 Plus is built with both of those points in mind, offering overall comfort and precise striking in the game's fastest moments. Because, as I learned the hard way, because I didn't possess much of it, speed matters in soccer. That's why the Furon 7 Plus is built for accuracy and precision at rapid pace and is engineered specifically for use on firm ground. Why is this the ideal cleat, I hear you ask? Well, not to get too scientific, but the Furon 7 Plus offers a lightweight yet supportive hypo-knit with mesh lining upper construction and is paired with offset lacing for a truer strike of the ball, which is a long way of me saying that your game will immediately get better when these are on your feet. Learn more and purchase the Furon at NewBalance.com. Welcome into Attacking Third on this beautiful Friday. I'm Jenny Chu here with Christine Kupo, Jordan Angeli, and Darian Jenkins. And as I mentioned, it's a Friday, which means we're all in kits. Footy kit Friday. We have to talk about the Women's World Cup. That's why we're here. Um, we will have a first-time World Cup winner, no matter what happens from here on out. How amazing is that to begin with? feels right yeah. during this World Cup. With the first time it's been 32 teams, now getting a new winner. E even the, the round of 16 and how many newbies we saw in that position, I, I just feel like we're seeing that the women ga women's game around the world has been elevated, and this is a good example of that. There is going to be a new champion, and it, it's the way it should be right now. It is, and you love to see these storylines and the heart behind how much these wins mean and we're all bought in. We've all wanted kind of the underdogs of the tournament to succeed and get through. And here we are. It's going to be a really exciting next round in the next few games. A very important game last night. Spain against Netherlands. Jordan, take us through these highlights. Yeah, well, this was a game that I think everybody was anticipating. It really was going to set the tone as to how these games were going to go. And it took a while. 81st minute, finally get something in the back of the net. It's Caldente off of the post. This is a handball by who? Stephanie van der Graat on the far side gives away the penalty kick. Then this Netherlands team switch formation. She goes up front as a center back, scores the goal. But how about this? Parayuelo finds the 1v1 opportunity just as we wrote up. Beautiful finish in extra time. This one didn't go to PKs, thank goodness. No penalties in this. Yeah, <laughs> As we see here, Spain a dominating possession and the shots in the match. Um, but Netherlands had a few chances where you were thinking, mm -hmm. even if Spain is dominating this game, Netherlands can get one off here, especially Bernstein on those incredible runs. But to finish it off, Spain advances on. Let's go ahead and talk about that team. Um, Darian, Spain had so many opportunities at the beginning of the game that they were unable to finish 
And then tides shifted a little bit, but mm -hmm. Spain. Yeah, Spain was so fun to watch. Came out as we expected them to. Possession heavy in the attacking third of the Netherlands. And they weren't able to put away their chances. They created so many opportunities. It was fun to watch. But ultimately, I think the person that held this team together was Jenny Hermoso. Mm -hmm. She had the best game. I think the Netherlands playbook was to block out Bon Mati because she's been so good for this Spanish side. And we didn't see much of her. I think Gronin really had her on lock and was shutting her down on all areas of the field. She looked gassed after the game, which I would be too. But <laughs> this gave Jenny Hermoso the opportunity to really get on the ball, especially when Bon Mati came out and she went a little deeper into kind of a false six, eight position. I think her distribution and ultimately her assist for the game winner was what the yeah. difference maker was for the Spanish side. And the Netherlands tried to short up centrally. They, they were double teaming pretty much mm -hmm. any time the ball went in there. But what makes this Spanish squad so good, and it, it's very like quintessential Spanish sides, is they go with so many numbers close to the ball. They want mm -hmm. tight connections. They want players around the ball. So they were regaining possession high up the field. And that was allowing them to put the pressure on the Dutch early on. 25 minutes in, their regain speed was 10 seconds after they lost the ball. They were winning it right back and I just that stat felt so right they were just very dominant especially at the beginning of this game um, the Netherlands didn't have a sniff until they started to figure out how they could get in behind the back line I feel like the Netherlands were constantly hunting or trying to make something happen even with Bernstein she really had what three three different chances that were legitimate chances that just unfortunately skied or just mm -hmm. out of place um, but Spain absolutely just in control of this entire match for the most part. I, I really didn't think they were going to let it slip. Yeah, it felt like Netherlands finally figured out, okay, we have Berenstein on the, the field <laughs> and the Spanish side is playing such a high line. Yeah. Let's just go in beyond. Send it. And the, I felt a little, Berenstein, I felt, she got in positions and you would think this is going to be a clinical finish. Mm. And it was, you could almost see her thinking herself through those moments. And that's the difference at this level of getting a goal or not getting a goal. And unfortunately for her, she wasn't able to put that in the back of the net, but she had chances. There were some moments when she could have passed the ball when she was taking it for herself, which mm. I felt like, you know, I get it. You want to put the team on your back, but it would have been easier to just slot it across the field here yeah, and there give was someone two else runners. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There was, yeah. But when we talk about Bernstein, the biggest thing that happened in the first half is that Netherlands got a penalty kick call on a foul on Bernstein, and then it gets called back. They send it to review to VAR, and it gets called back, overturned. Um, very confusing yeah. play. You know, I think that this is one that VAR is so interesting because if this does not get called on the field, I don't know if you go to VAR and say it's clear and obvious that this gets it needs to be a penalty. But the fact that it was called on the field, that means there has to be a clear and obvious reason right. for it to be overturned. And I didn't see it. You know, I, th I think that she knew that her positioning, it was easy contact there. I don't think it was really that heavy from the defender, uh, Paredes, I believe it was. Mm -hmm. But it almost was like almost shoulder to shoulder, but slightly behind. So when it was called on the field, I'm like, oh, this is definitely going to be a penalty. The shocker for me was it got called back after it was already given. Oh, I was Jordan. Shook. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I was watching the game with morning footy crew, uh, Nico Cantor and Charlie Davies, and all three of us were like, penalty kick, red card, mm -hmm. like done. <laughs> well, you can't have a red card on a penalty kick. You can't, that, there's no double jeopardy when anymore. It, when it goes to VAR, it was determining whether or not it would be overturned. We were all thinking it could be turned into a red card because it it's now gone to VAR. Oh, no, it would be a yellow still and a penalty. 
even on, on the field. If yeah. they went to VAR, I thought they were pretty, trying to figure out. I'm pretty out. positive. Christina, where are you? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Where's my rules expert? We, we were trying to see whether it would get um, elevated, but we never thought it was a possibility of it to com be completely overturned. Mm. We were completely yeah. shocked. Yeah. I feel yeah. like when you were ready, for me, once you start going through the clear and obvious aspects yes. of it, where yeah. you're kicking to VAR for that, it's just... It's not clear and obvious, right? Yeah. So what are we doing? Right. I don't know. There's so much more on this match, but we're going to have a breakdown from Darian and Jordan later in the show on that match specifically. So there was another match played last night, this morning. I don't know. I've lost a track of time <laughs> because I have not slept, but that's Japan against Sweden. Yes, this was such a highly anticipated game. This Japanese side, we had a little bit higher expectations, but Sweden came out and really executed on these set pieces as we predicted that that's what was going to be the determining factor. And here you see a Japan or a handball on this Japan squad, and then, boom, the finish from Ilstead. But oh, sorry, I mean uh, Agigol. But this Japanese side sadly wasn't able to tactically execute the way that they, we predicted them to, and have this battle. And Sweden overtook them and kept them locked into their defensive third. And Sweden's the one that's moving forward. I, th I think. I'd say that they did execute. They definitely played their game. They definitely played the sexier football mm -hmm. over Sweden. I think that Sweden just knew. They yes. knew how to tactically neutralize them. And again, they're higher than average for scoring goals off of set pieces. You knew that was what they were gonna be go for for the rest of this tournament, and they did, right? That's something that Japan's gonna have a hard time defending no matter what, because there's such a height difference mm -hmm. that you're not gonna win the aerial balls. You're gonna be kind of fighting for your life. Japan unfortunately conceded due to a defensive bobble, really yeah. that first goal, which was just a mess, right? You saw them kind of cross over each other. Communication was a little shoddy. Um, I don't know, I, I was still pretty high on Japan, but it's, it's unfortunate to see them go out. Let's listen into some sound post-game after Sweden advances. Uh, we're using our physical uh, advantage uh, this game, and I think we, yeah, we did it very well. And I'm so so happy that we are in the semifinals. No, a really good performance from from all of us. I must say, uh, really proud of the girls how we performed, especially the first 45 minutes we were playing against maybe one of the best teams in the world, and we managed to get that performance. Uh, I was just proud looking at my players in front of me and. and that we managed to get the win, it's amazing. So here's a tweet from Steph Yang, the athletic writer, saying Aslani, after winning the quarterfinal against Japan, said, it's so nice when you hear ABBA songs after the game. I asked if she had any requests, and she said she loves Lay All Your Love On Me. Anyone an ABBA fan here? I mean, I know well, Dancing Queen, yeah. but like, I don't know their yeah. full catalog. I'm Mamma Mia. But yeah, <laughs> Mamma Mia. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I wish there was a zoom in on Christine doing that there. Yeah. <laughs> you did have the dance moves. You were shying away from that earlier. But what they were saying there, the, the Swedish players, is exactly what I wrote down. They went into this game saying, let's play our strengths. They muscled off players left and mm -hmm. right. And it wasn't just winning those battles. It was then utilizing some of the advantages. So if Japan was going to be really good in their 5-4-1, they stretched them from left to right and utilized all of the space on this field. So now the, the passing or the lanes in between the, the Japan squad were bigger. I felt like Sweden was really good against the Japan midfield, and it had a lot to do with Rofa mm -hmm. and with Aslani. They, against that four in the midfield, they actually put four. They had two in front of the, that four line with their two holding midfielders, Sweden did, and then they had Aslani and Rolfa tucked in Rolfa, 
and it's four against four. So they outnumbered them centrally, um, especially with those two center midfielders. So I thought that Sweden hit this tactically very well. We're willing to go in beyond, but their strengths was their strengths. And that yep. is sometimes the best thing to do in these winner take and take all kind of moments. So difficult because Japan didn't get any shots off in the first 60 something minutes of yeah. the game. That credit to Sweden because they figured it out. They found a way to neutralize this team in the midfield specifically like you're talking about there Jordan. Um, but also they were pretty unlucky in some moments. The fact that they missed the penalty kick off the crossbar changes yeah. things for that match as well. And then continuing on in they score a goal but I felt like the team had already given up and there was still I think like 12 minutes added um, an additional time but they were already crying on the sidelines like they already felt like they were defeated and that was so sad to see because you know I was rooting for these Japanese you know I wanted them to go through because of their style of play but Sweden really did outsmart and, and they were did. able to the, do it. The yeah. one goal that Japan did get, though, was pretty clinical. It was, it was clean. Yeah, it was. I was like, you know, yeah. you got to hand it to them. If there were style points, that would have counted for at least three. And once the midfield of Sweden broke up and they made some substitutions, Japan went hard. And they, they found the, the passing lane straight into Ueki up front and could build off of there. So I, I did feel like it was too little, too late for this Japanese squad. But yeah. um, I feel like the way that they approached every game is something we will always remember and also just their humility and their mm -hmm. honor for what this sport is and for the people that came out and supported them I love their bow after the the, the games it always is something to look forward absolutely to. Too. and the other thing is Sweden never discounted Japan in a, in a lot of ways that some other teams have. Yeah. They put out that same lineup that they put out against the U.S., mm -hmm. which means that they knew that they were going they into a serious them. match. Right. That's yeah. a lot of respect there. Yeah. So kudos to them for that. Mm -hmm. There's going to be more World Cup coverage all on Fox, where all of these matches are being played uh, tomorrow, June 20th. Tomorrow's not July 20th, guys. I'm, I'm out of my mind. <laughs> but first, here, we're going to be considering the U.S. Women's National Team coaching candidates with Sandra Herrera. When we come back, stay with us. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The first moment when I heard that they were out, I was just thinking, yes, bye. Because, um, I mean, from the start of this tournament, they had already uh, like a, yeah, a really big mouth. They were talking already about the final and stuff. And I was just thinking, you first have to show it on the pitch before you're talking. And uh, I'm not being rude in that way. I mean, I have still a lot of respect for them, but I mean, now they are out of the tournament. And for me, yeah, it's a release. And uh, for them, it's uh, like a thing that they have to take take with them in the future that yeah don't start to talk about something what's like far away and I hope that they will learn from that. That was Lenith Bernstein ahead of their match against Spain talking about the U.S. women's national team and Sydney LaRue former U.S. women's national team player had a response this morning after Netherlands was eliminated. <laughs> One thing we've learned is wait to talk blank until after you're on the podium with a gold medal because now you're by two. <laughs> That's the best part. You're by two. I'm sorry, but you know what? I don't mind the bravado. Like, go in, talk your whatever you got. What's the difference, right? You're both out now. You didn't say anything. How did that change the outcome? 
I think this is great for women's soccer. I think Honestly, it's wonderful. I don't think, I think anything that Bernstein said was was disrespectful. No. At all. Yeah. Like, listen, it's going to be a matter of taste, but quite frankly, we need more villains in women's soccer. Yeah, I so. agree. We like, see the men's game do this I do all not the care. Time. Yeah. Do what you got to do. Like, let your personality show. Mm -hmm. If you're going to be a little bit more aggressive, then be that person. Like, there's no reason for every single person to line up and be like, you're a role model now. You're a role model now. You're a role Ooh. model. No. We need, <laughs> we need more personalities that are willing to speak out. I feel mm -hmm. like it's okay. And I don't think that that was even controversial. I think it's okay it to wasn't. say, hey, yeah. Yeah. the but, U.S. Women's National Team's commercial ahead of this were a bit arrogant in ways. Yeah. And you know what? Good. Like, I love the pettiness. And I love that, I you know, <laughs> Sid is still out there clapping back at Bernstein. Like, oh, hey, girl, I see you out there, too. No, we're both outside the club. <laughs> Enjoy. Like, <bye>. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think it's great for the great for the sport to, to add these conversations. But why don't we add someone else to our conversation? Let's welcome in Sandra Herrera. Uh, that leads us. Sandra, to our conversation on the U.S. women's national team potential future coaching candidate. As of now, we don't know what is happening with Vlad Gondonovsky or if anything is happening. But what do you think is happening if we move forward with someone else who should be on this list? Yeah, I hear you. I think that's what everyone's on right now. It's the it's the coaching watch for the USWNT. Who's it going to be? Who can the candidates be? I'm sure it's going to be a wide list of characters. Look, as soon as the United States made their unfortunate exit in this World Cup, that same morning, I got tasked by my editors to go ahead and put out a list of coaching <laughs> candidates on .com. So, of course, I've been swimming in names since then. But, look, I think there's a, a number of qualified candidates out there that U.S. soccer can, can go after. Um, it could range from folks who are doing really, really cool things at the club level uh, to your, your NWSL candidates to maybe even some collegiate candidates out there as well. But I'm here to make a case for the region. I'd like to see the United States maybe go after some coaches who did some cool things in this World Cup. I had Lauren Donaldson uh, listed on there, Jamaica's head yeah. coach, but I'm here to make a case for, for Bev Priestman a little bit. So this is another team that unfortunately, a CONCACAF team that got bounced a little bit early than anticipated in this World Cup, but why not Priestman? Um, this is a coach who is no stranger to having to work on a really tight timetable and quick turnaround. We're talking about someone who was hired by Canada to take over the senior national team in October of 2020 and then went ahead and won the gold medal with this Canadian team at the Tokyo Olympics. And that's kind of the scenario that's going to be presented here to the next uh, potential head coach of this national team. So maybe why not uh, give an interview to, to someone who has been there before? Interesting. I, I the, the thing I think about with Priestman is that mm -hmm. this is a, a coach during the World Cup, specifically right now, who I thought made some interesting coaching de decisions. And that's where we are with the, the, the women as well, with Vlatko Andonovsky. I, I don't feel like the decisions that were made with the personnel were correct. I pretty much sat here and said, why is Sophia, or, uh, Sophie Schmidt not starting games mm -hmm. for Canada? So I think we're kind of in the same situation when you talk about who is being chosen personnel-wise with Priestman. But all right, Sandra. But <laughs> <laughs> you have that. Yeah. Darren, you have a candidate as well? I do. I'm going to rock with Laura Harvey. I really think she has proven that she's a developmental coach. She's keen to take the job as well. We actually have a quote from her about this. Um, and I think that she's shown a lot of faith with her players. 
They all love her. We haven't heard anything bad about her. She's been involved with U.S. soccer for a long time. And I do think that she could lead this team and especially this younger generation and developing them into a new identity and become a new force to be reckoned with. And the new identity that we were craving seeing in this tournament, um, I think, is something that she can really provide and bring out in this younger squad, hopefully in the Olympics yeah. moving forward and Pe then for yeah. years to come. People are already asking her about it too, right, mm -hmm. Darian? And she's already been asked about would you take this job and I think that's really interesting that yeah. reporters are already saying all right you'd look pretty good here and she's taken it in stretch she's like you know what yeah <laughs> I'm open to it yeah. so the, the one thing I find challenging with club coaches into national team coaches is it is a totally different mindset you go from having players every single day for nine months mm -hmm. to getting them in pockets. And Sandra, that can be a really tough task, don't you think, for, for that kind of uh, workaround for a head coach? Yeah, I don't know if the head coaching position here is one that's gonna need to come in here and, and kind of look and lean into development as something that's going to be that number one tick of the box for coaches who come into this, uh, this position. I think they're looking for someone who could take what is currently in place and make sure to turn it around. I think at this point, you've got some players in, in Smith, uh, Sophia Smith specifically, and Naomi Gurma, who have kind of shown that they are able to take on um, the challenges of playing professionally in a club environment. And we saw Girma, I think, take that next step on this international stage a bit in this tournament. And Sophia Smith had a really good opening game against Vietnam and was a consecutive starter throughout this tournament for the United States. So what is that next piece, you know, for for this team? So I think there has to there is a certain level of uh, perception and, and focus on development a little bit, but I'm I'm more looking at at for a candidate that can come in here, take what's the talent that's already there and provide the plan uh, to push them forward essentially. As you say that, Sandra, I want to present my pick for this. Um, current Australia women's national team coach Tony Gustafsson, I have him um, as someone who's so motivational. He is tactically sound. He also has club clubbed, coached both men and women um, in the club and in the national team level. And just to see what he has done with Australia with Sam Kerr's absence in place um, has been incredible to watch. So he can obviously do it at the national team level. Also, he worked for the U.S. women's national team for many years under both uh, previous managers, Pia Soonhag and Jill Ellis. So he understands the culture and the landscape while not being the head person that was making all of the calls. So giving him that power now as he's seen winning, he's seen other situations under that federation. Maybe he knows what he wants to change there. And I think that it's a good time for a change in the U.S. women's national team. Federation aspect. I guess yeah, I, I feel you. like I'm doing the group project where I'm like, okay, Sandra, we're now going to present the next candidate. <laughs> um, hear me out. The best of the blues. Long, long history dating back to 2001 in terms of managerial resume and extremely impressive. The one, the only, Emma Hayes. So I feel like it would take quite a bit of cajoling to pry her from Chelsea's grip given that she's been there since 2012 and she's won just about everything there is to win, less Champions League. Mm -hmm. uh, I feel like you can't argue with her ex experience to her resume, to uh, her football IQ. I think that she'd be a perfect fit, but with the caveat being that we'd have a lot of convincing to do um, to get her out of Chelsea. Yeah, no, I'm with you on the convincing part. Emma Hayes is a coaching 
coaching stateside, right? But I, I don't know if um, she maybe had the, the best experiences, you know, coaching so long ago in a much different uh, phase of her life in WPS, right? So I think so much has changed for this coach. I, mean, I think she's become part of the top tier elite coaches. When you take a look across the women's head coaching landscape, Emma Hayes is at the top of that list for so many folks out here when we look at candidates. So I, that's the other part I think that you bring up, Koopa, where you're you're kind of talking about the convincing. What is U.S. soccer going to pitch yeah, to some right. of these? So, so Sandra, to, you're saying it's, it's not going to be an edible arrangement then? We're going to need to bust <laughs> out maybe some jazz hands, some... Uh, um, Dancing people. I don't know what what somebody find out immediately what Emma Hayes likes because uh, I'll get it done. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't see her. I don't see her leaving that job. I mean, she has done so much, and she's clearly very respected there. I oh, mean, for obviously, sure. as a as and a rightfully fan, so. She has done so much there, and. I think she really cares about those women and bringing, you know, and continuing their progress and all that yeah. th she's done there. I don't, I don't see her leaving that project. And, and you know what? I, I kind of find offense in you saying that WPS was so long ago, Sandra. So uh, we'll talk about that after the show. We will talk about that after the show. But I'm going to throw in my candidate, and I think it's go it's got to be Serena Vigman, the, the head coach of this English squad. And I think it's really probably dependent on how England does in the rest of this World Cup because she has tactically put on a masterclass with this English squad. They have been presented with challenges and players and personnel, and she has done such a good job of plugging and playing, finding the right players in her arsenal on the bench to say, all right, you can go in here and you can really fit this team well. That's what we need. We need tactical adaptability. We need a coach that really feels like they have a, a good way of utilizing the talent on this team. What do you say, Sandra? <laughs> I think that is like the big, like cotton can, co cotton candy cloud, like in the sky yeah. type of candidate. I think that folks want to see for U.S. soccer again. Uh, edible arrangement, <laughs> concert <laughs> tickets, whatever it is that she likes. I think they're going to have to try to really try to sweeten that deal, considering the current contract that Wigman is on with the Lionesses. I believe it's through 2025. And if we're throwing numbers mm. on things, right, Andonovsky, I think I saw a figure of 400,000. I think they're going to have to up that if they want to try to convince uh, Wigman to come through. I, I agree with you in terms of what we've been seeing from England on the pitch. They have had to play in some real pressure cooker type of games and to be able to just sort of have a cool head put that confidence in your bench let them know that they have what it takes to get out there and win those really uncomfortable games I think speaks high volumes of, yeah. of this coach and, and what she can do with the team so I think that's number one in terms of the real kind of like ambitious kind of long shot and I think that we got to put that pressure yeah. back on U.S. soccer mm -hmm. are they going to embrace that are they going to embrace that within this coaching search mm -hmm. are they going to widen this net to include very high hot named candidates for this position right exactly and it, as you've been speaking i've actually convinced jenny to be on our, my team because she, she's a tar heel so uh we've been playing <laughs> yeah. at north carolina under anton door and so she, now you. you're on my it's so your team, easy right? to get Listen. jenny on your side you know <laughs> so you just many have to... tar heels there's just so many tar heels in this world cup if we just wanted to do a little caveat there but yes uh, a previous um tar heel there I won't lean with you here. You know what? It's so difficult because I find that NWSL to um, the U.S. Women's National Team has been like this very easy move. That's what Andonovsky just did, yeah. and it didn't work. 
Um, so I don't want to see that. It's a hard move. We also saw Mark uh, Parsons do that to and a national didn't team, work. and it was right. difficult. Um, so I would only consider national team to national team. Sorry, I don't see Emma Hayes coming. Um, so that leaves me with us two, but I want Sandra's opinion. Sandra, we all gave our, our pitches here. What would be your choice out of the ones we pitched here? I'm with you. I think I, I'm, I'm leaning into the camp where I want to see a national team move. I'm not someone who's going to say that it's done and dusted for the experiment of an NWSL pipeline to national team head coach. I think Laura Harvey is probably the candidate um, to look at coming out of the league. I know folks are maybe clamoring a bit for Casey Stoney, but I I don't know if that's going to be the correct move either. So I think when you're looking at the landscape of NWSL, it's like Laura Harvey, and then it completely kind of falls off, I mm -hmm. think, at that point. Mm -hmm. So I would like to see U.S. soccer maybe make a national team letter move, take a look at some of these coaches and what they did throughout this particular World Cup and try to throw your hat in the ring and try to lure those coaches back to the States and say, hey, there's a real opportunity to build something here because it's going to be a unique opportunity for the head coach to come here and rewrite history a little bit because this is the earliest exit right ever for a u.s women's national team so how are you going to come in here and get everything back on the right path and i think the way to do that is to ensure that you've got a coach with the right amount of experience and at those major international levels so i'm with you on tony and i think i'm, I'm with jordan as well on, on serena but i think maybe there's a better shot to nab tony you gotta put yourself Ooh. in there too. You got Priestman. And Biff. And Biff. You know what, Sandra? Just because you agreed with my pick, I just wanna say it's always a pleasure to have you on. Oh, oh thank goodness. Let me cancel that edible arrangement. That was too much. Hold on. All right, thank you, Sandra. Seriously, love having you on. Uh, you we go. have a tactical breakdown with Darian and Jordan when we come back from the matches from last night, this morning. Again, we still don't know when they were. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to Attacking Third. Darian, we have made our way back over to the wall, our happy place. Yes. It feels good to be back over here, and we're really going to break down the reason why Spain and Sweden booked their tickets to our first semifinal. And it starts with the game that Spain played. Mm -hmm. And you said, who was your favorite player on Spain? Jenny Hermoso, baby. And Hermoso had herself a game, and mm -hmm. she was key to this team throughout the whole 120 minutes. But in the goal, her movement off the ball and her ability to pull apart this Dutch squad is really what's key. So I said earlier this week, the back three were going to be important. And if you could get them stretched, here's Janssen following Armoso into the midfield. Now look at the space and beyond. This is just perfect for Paraguelo, who was a substitute in the match. She goes 1v1. Always want to getting it, getting it to her left foot. I loved the confidence mm -hmm. of Parayuelo. She came in late as a sub, actually later than I was expecting her to Me come too. into this match. But when she came in, especially when they switched her to the left side, it felt like she lit up. She brought a different energy to this team, and, and 
you could start to sense that there were going to be gaps where she could expose. Yeah, she definitely came in. I think you predicted her to start. You highlighted her yeah. as one of your, your players to watch, and you were completely right. I do think she should have started, but bringing her on later, she was so effective mm -hmm. going 1v1 and got the result finally. And even to see her celebration after, you could just see, feel how much it meant through yeah. the screen, and we're excited for her. The tactics of these la later stages games, when, when there is p potential for extra time, mm -hmm. to use a player like Parayuelo off the bench with her speed and her tenacity. She finally gets her first yes. goal of the World Cup, and that's what it means to her. Big celebration for Spain. They're on to the semifinal. But in the other game, Sweden versus Japan. Now, this one had some real good tactical battles, but we knew that if Sweden found themselves in the semifinal, it was probably going to be because of their ability in the air. Yes, it was But maybe be. not the way we thought it was gonna be. No, not at all. But it was off, it was a game of set pieces, yeah. and that's what we had spoken about before. And we knew it was gonna be physical. And here, off of this free kick, the keeper punches it out, and Sweden's able to just make a mess of it and keep it alive. And ultimately, it's bopping around, and then they get the goal. Amanda Ilstead taps in the finish. So we'll watch this again. Keeper punches it out, and you see the Japanese defense staying a little away from the players on the line. And it, they don't. Nobody gets up in the faces of these Swedish players yeah. to block a shot. She stays on the line. And seven chances there for Sweden yes. to get a goal. Yes. They finally put it away. And then Japan, after not finishing a penalty, is able to put one away, and we see that finish from Hayashi. But. They're able to exploit the space. This is what we wanted to see more of Japan throughout the game and f finishing these opportunities. Endo finally comes in and finds Seiki, who is able to cross it. It's blocked, and then Hayashi sniffs it out and has a great finish. And you see how excited they are to get this and hopefully get another goal. But ultimately, Sweden takes the cake on this one. Yeah, it was too little too late for Japan, mm -hmm. but you could see the space start to open up from yes. them. Maybe something that Sweden needs to be aware of centrally as games progress going on into the semifinal. How are they going to manage that? Because now we know, Jenny, it is going to be Spain against Sweden, and this is going to be quite the match in our first semifinal. Like you just mentioned, so many important aspects of this game. Uh, that's going to be at 4 a.m. Goodness, always on Fox. Christine, this is a tough one. I don't see who's coming out of this one. They're su they both got through such difficult games. They really have, and Spain obviously more of an attacking presence than Sweden do historically, especially. I, I think that Spain right now for me are going to be the stronger side. I'm not necessarily sure what Sweden are going to bring to this match. I know they've obviously been well prepared all along, but do we see the same lineup again that they presented against Japan? Yeah. The biggest question for me is Spain's back line. Mm -hmm. They played a high back line against this Netherlands squad and it almost punished them time and time again. If there's no pressure on the ball, you have to drop. You can't hold the back line. Mm -hmm. And for me, that was the biggest factor. It, you can't play that way against Sweden with players like Blackstinius, Rolfo, Aslani going in beyond as a midfielder. It's just not going to cut it because they're going to get to that spot and they're going to finish these chances. Yeah, I agree. I, I'm going to ride with, with Sweden. I actually Ooh. think that they're going to win this game. I know we're going to do predictions, but that's who I'm thinking is going to come out because we're seeing their momentum. They're building, they're scoring goals in different ways, and they're tenacious. And to your point, Spain's back line, I don't have the utmost faith in. Yeah. Mm. I think that's the third that's really going to, the Swedish players are sniffing out, and Rolfo has 
played with all of these players in Barcelona, mm -hmm. I think that it's going to be an opportunity for them to capitalize on with their 1v1 ability and their threat Ability the to exploit that space. Yeah. Uh, I could see it happening. So let's say, hypothetically speaking, <laughs> right? Because I think it's going to be close. Yeah. I think we'd all agree that that part, yeah? Close? Yeah. 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 It goes to penalties. I want goals. Oh, mm. you don't want a penalty? I don't, I don't want, want those penalties. type of goals. Hypothetically, no, but... <laughs> speaking, it goes, hypothetically speaking, it goes to pens. Who, who's winning? Spain. Spain. Mm. If it doesn't go to penalties, sorry, I don't want to go to the hypothetical penalties yet because in my <laughs> head, Sweden is also winning. Yeah. Um, there was opportunities in the last match where Blackstenius could have finished, and I think that she's going to take that as a lesson mm -hmm. as to be more clinical, and if she does get against that Spain backline that you were pointing out, Jordan, that has some... Some weaknesses, I feel like they're going to be very clinical. And if they can take out Japan, I think they can take out anyone because that was my team. I agree. That was my team. <laughs> um, well, we'll be previewing tomorrow's quarterfinals. That's Australia against France, England against Colombia. When we come back, and we're going to be looking at those brackets that are not looking too hot right now. Welcome back into Attacking Third, and this is the part of the show that we have been dreading. This is a look at our current bracket. Uh, we didn't do so hot in the last two matches, ladies. Um, let's just go straight to morning footies. <laughs> Not leave it up there for too long. Um, yeah, they still have England as winners, so they're a potential continuing. I think they got Spain right last yeah. night. Yeah. So this is how it leaves us. They are currently four points ahead of Excuse us. Excuse me, how? Okay, Morning Footy practically blindfolded each other, spun, and then just chose anybody. <laughs> there was no rhyme or reason to that. Okay, this is definitely just like It's a luck. long game, this is luck. It's a long game. I think we're good there in the we end. We still got I'm tonight. feeling good. I'm feeling all right. Tomorrow morning. It'll fair out. I have full yeah. faith. Wow. We'll, we'll return. That that side is the positive side. Over here, we're like, no. Yeah. <laughs> I hate this part of the show. I am aghast. How dare you be up by four points when this tournament is clearly not over yet. Right. I'm highly competitive. I can't help it. <laughs> okay, guys. So the matchups that we're talking about that are coming up that maybe we could be right about. England against Colombia. And the latest news is Lauren James's suspension has been upped to two matches. Christine, is that the right amount? For me, I think uh, red card, yes. Maybe one match out, not two. I think that's a little bit aggressive. Was it a dumb move? For sure. Was it reckless? Okay. Was it super dangerous or harmful to Michelle Alozzi? No. I mean, we got a high-quality meme that will go down in the <laughs> Hall of Fame. But I think for me, it just, you know what? I feel like we don't get this same reaction on the men's side when something like this happens. I feel like it blows over. It's barely a news item. This has been dragged out into. What do you mean? Uh, Zidane Zidane heading someone, heading I mean, somebody. That's a moment hear in history. Me out. This That's... is maybe a moment in history that <laughs> we will remember. <laughs> I, iconic. I, I'm fine with it. I mean, don't don't maim anyone, but like maybe a little stepping. A little stepping's okay. Okay, I like it. I, I, I you know. I don't like that she did it, but I like that there is something to remember uh, that we take from these World Cups. Um, but that leads us to England. Jordan, how does England replace Lauren James or attempt to replace the impact that she has for that team? Well, that's the thing. I, I was just talking about Vigman and how she's done such a good job of utilizing her bench. So she's going to have to do that here. And I feel like it, there's two ways that I see this playing out. It, is they either stick with a three back and they go with what they've been going with or they kind of mix it up and they go back. Now that they have Kira Walsh back, they could switch back to a four back. So if they go with a three back, I could, I could see it being a little bit more aggressive in a three, four, three. You're using hemp. 
Chloe Kelly gets her first start since that Denmark game where Kira Walsh went out. They were playing a four back in that that game. And if this is the potential starting lineup, what I like is Walsh and Stanway centrally. It also allows you to then flip it. In the game, you can go to a four back pretty easily because Greenwood, remember you guys, is a left back for this squad for a long time. So if it's not a 3-4-3 three, three, or if the game calls for a four back, go ahead and switch it. So mm. now bronze comes into the back line. Greenwood is a left back. You go with two center backs there with Carter and Bright. And then as you move up, what about Rachel Daly playing in that central midfield role? I think she could do this because she could be their attacking mm. midfielder. She could play almost like a, a false nine at moments. You're getting Hemp and Chloe Kelly to do the work in the channels, in the wings defensively. It's a bold move, but I it's like bold, that this I think is it's the right, adaptable. The right threat to put there, mm -hmm. I think, in daily. I think you have to be aggressive against this Columbia mm -hmm. team, and that's why I think that this lineup could potentially be what England puts out, because you can't go against Columbia and you have to respect them, but I think by re do, to respect them, you must go with a very attacking-minded team. Jordan, we already did our segment on potential U.S. Women's National Team coaches, and after that, I'm thinking we should add your name to the list. Oh, well, right in. Is that that like, let's talk about contracts, guys. Let's we'll talk about contracts. So, not the edible arrangement. I do love an edible. No cantaloupe, though. No cantaloupe. Okay, so you guys know. Um, let's move on to the other side of the field, Colombia, Darian. There has been so much talk about young Linda Caicedo, and deservingly so. But the players around her have enabled her to shine. Yeah, I completely agree. Caicedo has gotten a lot of the media attention and the attention during games. And I think that's allowed players like Usme, Santos, and Ramirez, who are showing up with assists, goals themselves, and being the real playmakers that allow Caicedo to stay higher up the pitch and not do so much defensive work, are really the glue to this team and why they've been so successful. They've been able to hold up play, build through her and receive the ball back. And also the service from Usme Santos and Ramirez into the box has been so freaking good for this Colombian side, whether it's set pieces or just deeper crosses or through balls. I think that they all have such good chemistry and that's what's gonna carry them into this game. And talking about formations, they've actually switched it up a little, a little bit, but the 4-1-2-3 and a 4-2-3-1. Mm -hmm. So I think if England's in that back three, they're going to be they're going to be high but it's going to be a really good battle of just a lot of 1v1s which we love to see. Yeah. I think that if England make any error it's going to be just due to hubris because mm -hmm. if they discount that Colombian front 3 which is a massive threat I, to me, I'd be more conservative. I'd probably set up more defensively just to see what they're going to actually be able to do, what yeah. what space they can create, because they are a formidable side. I think Colombia right now, like queens of Conmebol, they're the last one standing, right? Mm -hmm. So um, I'm a little bit rooting for them. You, you kind of got to give it to them. They, they she's changing alliances. I know, right? Jamaica's <laughs> out. She's going Colombia. <laughs> I love that you love an underdog story, honestly. But let's turn our attention to Australia against France. The other match, I mean, the biggest news coming out of this one is potentially the return of Sam Kerr and let's talk about whether or not she should start because she is coming off of that injury uh, Jordan what do you think they'll do here I don't think you can start Sam Kerr the way that these games have been going so far we have seen a number of games go into extra time into penalties through the knockout stages and a player like Sam Kerr with a calf injury 
she is such an explosive player. So if you can utilize her, maybe in the last, she, she played 10 in the last game. If you can get 20 out of her, the last 20 minutes, know that you can bring Sam Kerr off the bench, get the crowd behind you like they did when she came into the last game. Then you, you're also saying she could play. I, I think you can tack 30 minutes onto that in the added time and then potentially penalties. You need her in those types of moments when it is win and take all, when she can be the goal scoring threat. I think you have to hold on to her. And it's not as if Australia has been playing poorly without her. Right. I, I think Tony Gustafson's quote in the presser, which was, you know, if Sam's capable of playing 90 minutes, she'll play 90 minutes, is kind of an, the non-answer answer. It's what everybody wants to hear for sure, right? You want her to be, to be able to play and play well. I just, to your point, I think the wise thing to do would be to save her to the best of your ability. I just don't know how much she has the desire to be on the field for longer than maybe she should be. Mm. And I wonder how much that'll factor in because oh, what obviously- what do you mean? It's a World Cup. You know she wants to be on the pitch. Of course, that's what I'm saying. Like, I would be pushing too. I'd be like, hey, 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 Tony, can we, can we maybe get me in now? <laughs> you know, you want to play as much as you can. It's just a matter of, you know, how reasonable are you to the extent of what you're capable of contributing to your team, right? You, you, you want to be the hero, but you never want to be the weakest link, especially when you know that you're not 100% healthy. So many interesting points there because um, if you start her and then you have to take her out, um, it may change the dynamic that the team has been playing with and doing well without her. Um, and then if you do put her in late and it goes into extra time and you need an extra sub for her, you've already used one sub. So there's a lot of, a lot of potential um, things happening there. But on the other side of the field, there's France. And we've spoken about Hervé Renard and his impact on this team. What has he done for them, Jordan? He's let them play freely and had confidence in who they are. And as a player, that's what you want is confidence from your coach. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think he's allowed them to. I mean, he's quoted in the press also saying, I don't even really have to coach them. I'm just there to support. They're so well-seasoned and talented that they know what to do. And we've seen that. They, they're constantly switching positions. They're fluid on every level of the field. And I think, you know, they're seeing the pressure of Australia and all of the weight they have to carry with the country behind them and all of these fans they're going to ride with that and play with a, a lot more freedom and just execute. Mm -hmm. And we're yep. seeing them with a lot of chemistry right now. It's going to be a really good matchup. Oh, I'm so excited. I don't want this World Cup to end. We're getting closer <laughs> and closer, but it's, no. it's been so much fun, and there's so much fun left to watch. But when we come back, we're, we're going to be diving into the Challenge Cup now that the semifinals are set. Can you believe that there's another tournament going on right now in women's soccer? Soccer never sleeps. This is the NWSL Challenge Cup bracket as it stands. The semifinals are set September 16th, and these four teams have now qualified for the $1 million prize pool. Ladies, I need your predictions. Who's winning this? Courage. I'm going Louisville. They're going to have Katlana, Kanu, DeMello back. Ooh. Those are goal scorers. I'm going with them. Ari Borges. Wow. We need a fight. I'm going with Rain. Ooh. Okay. Bring okay. it. I'm going with Carolina. <laughs>